been asking the Lord, what does he desire for the rest of the service this morning? There's a couple of things that I know that he wants, and one of them is um, is prayer. But um, it seems as though the theme this morning has been the intention of the heart of the Father for his creation, for his people, to align with him so that, and recognize how strong that intention is because of what he paid to reverse that Adam gave away. And that was why, that's why communion is so powerful. And then the beautiful promises, uh, take the scripture with you that's already been shared in Isaiah 54, And in Psalm 45 that Brooke just quoted, um, these are things that are, um, Um, these are things that are very, very, it's up all the way. It's just my high heels. That's good. (laughs) Um, These are things that are really important to take with us. And one thing that the Lord placed on my heart is, there were several things swirling through, and then, then it was just like, no, 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 I just need to, I just need to think about you, because I, I really didn't know that Greg wouldn't be with us this morning. And um, I know that God wants to encourage our hearts. In some cases, it's to encourage us from what we've been dealing with. In other cases, it's to encourage us to be anchored because of what is about to come and don't ever receive those things as an evil foreboding. That's the agenda of the enemy. When you begin to find yourself having an ominous feeling, that's an evil foreboding. That is a, um, a, a very, it's like a veiled kind of deceptive fear. It's like we know we're not supposed to be afraid, so we're not afraid, but yet we kind of have this pit in our stomach of what may come. We have to be very careful not to receive... Um, those kinds of things from the enemy. But there is a chapter that has meant everything to me in re- the reminder of the Lord as to who who I am and who he's made me to be. And if you don't know who you are and and that you were not an accident, you were not a mistake, there is no such thing as an oops in the conception of a life beginning. There just isn't a mistake. And the enemy has wanted us to believe that so that we overlook the satanic worship he receives through abortion, through these things that get snuffed out that early as if it doesn't mean anything. That's why they call it before viability. That's why they call it these terms and they try to change our language to distort the truth of the reality of what God wants us to see because he needs us to see things in his kingdom. He needs us to see when life begins and what the purpose of that life is from the, before the foundations of the earth that he intended for our lives. And even though it's not, we're going to go to Psalm 139, but even though it's not in John 10, I love John 10, 10, and in the King James it says, the thief comes but for to steal, to kill, to destroy. His agenda is to erase. He hates the human race. 
He made a choice, and he hates the human race, which is why he's been trying to produce, reproduce his own seed. That's why he came, and the, the sons of God, the, the low, lower G, came and slept with the daughters of man, okay, in Genesis 6, to infect and destroy humankind because of the, his hatred for humankind, the jealousy that he had that God loves us so much. And, um, but the latter part of that verse is that Jesus said, but I came to give life and to give it more abundantly. He came to give amazing, abundant life. And so how we define abundant has also been distorted. And the enemy loves to change definitions and language and words so that we begin to believe lies and abundant life has got to be determined by god almighty but in psalm 139 there is an amazing reminder of his the intention of his heart um i love it in the king james that's where i memorized it um and i had yvonne memorize it i had brooke memorize it there's nothing more beautiful than this chapter in reminder but I want to look at it in an, an amplified version. Um, so I'm going, to, I'm going to give it to you in the amplified this morning and just point out a couple of key things. Oh, Lord, you have searched me. This is a psalm of David. And by the way, the psalms of David were birthed out of his encounters with God Almighty that he had such a faith in and such a relationship with. There was such a friendship there was such a trust and an obedience that not only did David trust him, but that trust and faith David had in God. God could then turn around, and what did Jesus say? If you obey me, you're, I'll call you my friends. So God was able to then entrust David with amazing revelation and with amazing um, power and victory and authority. See, by the time he got to Goliath, he had already killed the lion and the bear. He had a confidence in who his God was. He knew and had to trust and went through a lot to have to trust it. I mean, to be anointed king and not get there for many years, to fight the battle to actually take the land that he was anointed to have years before because of what the people wanted. And so many spiritual parallels in the life of David. It's an amazing, amazing study. But these psalms come from encounters. So as you read these psalms, and even the one that Brooke just quoted, think of that from the, the Holy Spirit revelation that he had penned in this book that we can now draw from that's incredible, the words of the Lord. So, Lord, you have searched me thoroughly and have known me. You know my down-sitting and mine uprising. You understand my thought afar off. Matthew 9 and John chapter 2, 24 and 25 talk about these things. There, is, there are fleeting flickers of thoughts that we have, little nuances of deep desires of our hearts, little, little ways, little ticks and things about us that God understands it all. He understands things that aren't in our consciousness, which is called the reticular activating system of your brain. 
There are things that you think that you don't even know that you think until it's in the forefront of your consciousness. It's called the RAS. That's why, and I've used this many, many times, but it's why you never notice blue vans. And then all of a sudden, you, for whatever reason, you buy a blue van. All of a sudden, you're driving down the road, and all you see are blue vans. You're like, what, did everybody get the revelation I got? Everybody's driving a blue van. This is amazing. No, there were the same number of blue vans. You just didn't see them because it wasn't relevant to your life. You weren't, you, there wasn't a consciousness of it. So there are subconscious and, and different thoughts that encompass us that we're not even aware of, and that's why it's so important to have a laid-down life to the Lord because he's, he knows all of our thoughts. He knows when there is deception trying to root itself that we're not even aware of yet. We're not even aware of tendencies, proclivities, propensities towards certain thoughts and behaviors and decisions we don't even know will be harmful yet. But he's about to reveal it. And this is why we have to know that he knows us thoroughly. We've got to know that he loves us. Because what we don't know, and this is what religion can never answer, what we don't know, we can't fix or protect. So what do we do if we can't fix all of our problems from the principles of the word of God and a smart brain and study, study, study? Well, how about trust God? Trust God. Lean on him. Abide in him. Let him transform and completely renew the spirit of our mind that Ephesians 4 talks about. You sift, verse 2, and search out my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. Even the ways that we wish he wasn't acquainted with. He knows them. He knows us thoroughly. And if there are things that we're going to read this morning that you have never faced. See, you have to face. There are things about your life, your past, your personality, your tendencies that you would just as soon forget. You'd rather forget. But when you can face that God knows and sees them all and yet he loves us. That is a powerful revelation. So many people, and I know I have said this before in different speaking engagements, I'm telling you, so many people know that God loves us. But when they look in the mirror, they don't know that God loves that person. When you look in the mirror, does God love that person that you're looking at? You've got to know that. You've got to know that. Or there will be something of your calling, your destiny, your purpose in Christ Jesus you will never reach. Because that unbelief of his love for you will be a barrier. And it's dangerous. For there is not a word. Ooh, now we're getting serious. There is not a word in my tongue still unuttered. But lo, O Lord, you know it altogether. Words are very powerful. The power of life and death is in our tongue. What we speak. There is not a word that we're thinking about saying, that we've ever said, that we're going to say, that he doesn't know. It's amazing. You have beset me and shut me in behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Just goes to protection. Your infinite knowledge is too wonderful for me. I love it in the King James. It says, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. That has made me weep and weep and weep. The knowledge of how well he knows me while yet loving me, 
I cannot grasp it. It is truly too high. I cannot even attain unto it. Where could I go from your spirit? uh, Yeah. Or where could I flee from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol or hell, the place of the dead, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the seas, even there, shall your hand lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the night shall be the only light around me, even the darkness hides nothing from you. But the night shines as the day. Why? Because he is light himself. He is light. There is no light apart from him. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you did not, for you did form my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I declare it to all those who believe fully or who are cowardly lax on their stance in abortion, in any agreement with it. God Almighty knit us in our mother's womb. I will confess and praise you, for you are fearfully wonderful. And for the awful wonder of my birth, wonderful are your works, and that my inner self knows right well. David, by the way, knew that. He had had enough encounters, enough closeness, enough trust in God to know that he knew that God intended for him to be there. David had many hardships, many struggles, but he knew that God intended for him to be there when he was but just barely conceived, just forming. The formation of his life began even before he was conceived, when he was a thought in the Father's vast mind. If you just get this revelation... My frame was not hidden from you, verse 15, when I was being formed in secret. Another another verse for life before birth. And intricately and curiously wrought as if embroidered with various colors. We talked about that this morning in the ladies' class. Everybody's been given such a unique personality. Our DNA is like no other, no other person. How amazing is that with the millions and billions of people it's it's astounding that there's that kind of creativity of uniqueness. And you know what? When you, again, these Christian principles, when you're having a good day, you've had a good cup of coffee, you actually got sleep last night, and the world just seems like it's kind of in a little bit of order in your little life. It's easy to go, yeah, yeah, oh, praise God. I, yeah, I believe it. But when you're going through difficult things, when everything is being tested, when you're being stretched and pushed and the oppression is hard and storms are swirling around you, you've got to know that you know that you know that this is true. You have to know it. Otherwise, you'll be shaken. In the depths of the earth, a region of darkness and mystery, you were wrought in that place. Before your eyes saw my unformed substance and in your book, this is an important verse for the books that were written about us, 
of my life were written before they ever took shape, when as yet there was none of them. How precious and weighty also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I would still be with you. His thoughts toward us, how much he thinks of us. When your thoughts toward something are more in number than the sand, that is called a focus. That is an all-encompassing. He will never leave us or forsake us. How could he? If his thoughts toward us number more than the grains of sand on the seashore, on all the seashores, that's powerful. It's powerful when the enemy's lies come knocking at your door that God is not there, that he doesn't have your back. What happened when you went through this? Where was he when that happened? Where is his voice when all I hear is what I can't do and what I won't get through and what I don't have and how much pain I'm in? And how much more I'll have to endure. Where? These are the questions the enemy loves for us to ask. But when we know his word, when we have encounters with him, he births in us some revelations that transform us completely. And this was a transformative chapter in my life. If you would only slay the wicked, O God, and the men of blood would depart from me who speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, who hate you, and am not I grieved, and do not I loathe those that rise up against you. Righteous anger and hatred is okay. There is a righteous anger, and guess what? I have a strong hatred for the seed of Satan. And you've got to go back to believing Genesis 6 if you don't think the seed of Satan is still walking this earth. So hatred fueled in the holiness and righteousness only of God is of him and is right. I hate them. That's why he says in verse 22 with perfect hatred. And they have become my enemies. And guess what? Because you stand with God. The enemies of God are your enemies. We pray for their turning, those that can and are redeemable. We pray for their turning. We pray for them. But I am against the againstness of God, right? I stand so for God that what is against God, I stand against. That's a very important and much harder stance to take. And it will cost you when you take that stand. God allows it to cost also because sometimes we think it in a moment of raw, raw emotion. But when it comes right down to standing, that's the last piece of the overcoming statement in, Re- in Revelation when it says, I overcome them by the blood of the Lamb, the word of my testimony. Those two are hard. The blood of the Lamb is a gift. But the word of our testimony, that becomes tough. But loving not our lives unto death for that cost is another whole issue and matter altogether. But that's what David wanted. And then my two favorite verses, search me, O God. I got to say it from King James because I just say it all the time from that. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Hard, hard prayer to pray, by the way. Try me. Know my thoughts. See if there's any 
wicked way in me. Not even actionable now way in me, but any way that may manifest in decisions and actions. See if they're there. And lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in your way. Lead me in your path so that those things that I may not even realize that are thoughts somewhere hidden don't come out. See, God wants the healing not just of our physical bodies. He wants the healing of our emotions, our traumas. There are little girls who have been hurt that are, they don't even know until maybe decades later that they have a fundamental core belief that all men are evil and that they hate men. Some find out early. Some don't realize until later. They're just in the arms of whatever will rescue them along the way. And God needs to heal them from thoughts that get embedded because the second that the enemy can, even in utero, he wants to steal, kill, destroy, influence that life. And if you don't think babies are listening when they're in the womb, oh, but they are. John the Baptist leaped when he heard the voice of Mary when she came to visit Elizabeth. And they shared their pregnancies together. What a time. What a, I'd love to be a fly on the wall with that kind of a... I mean, talk about two women having coffee together, talking about their pregnancies. you got John the Baptist and Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Wow. But John the Baptist, I mean, he was absorbing the Spirit of God through the conversation of two women filled with faith at what was going to be birthed from their life. Amazing. Amazing. Do you know the intention that God has for your life? A, number one. Number two, are you willing to then step in whatever that intention is? See, that's the piece. It isn't just basking in, wow, you love me. You really wanted me here. God is never without intention and purpose. He is a God that completes what he starts. Philippians 1.6. He will fulfill and bring to fruition everything. There is nothing aborted in what God does. Every seed, every word that goes from his mouth, Isaiah 55, produces that which he intends. The only way it doesn't produce is if someone else comes and aborts it or steals or kills or, or steals the seed. Or if the ground is too hard and rocky, if weeds come up and and choke it out, those are the things that keep things from being completed that God starts. But not God. The free will given to us always is what allows those things to happen if we don't choose it. But what God starts, he finishes. And so will you step in obedience and trust and faith in this description of the fact that it is a big deal that you're created, that you're here on this earth, that you exist, that you live. And it's as big a deal for someone that you would deem not a viable life in terms of maybe they, um, little uh, precious little Ruth, I don't know those of you that weren't here Tuesday night, this young girl we discovered in um, in the surrounding community, um, our 
we have a, a team that does the outreach. We call it outreach, and they evangelize and go to the IDP camp. And our pa- campus pastor, Pastor Kay, um, found out about this girl that um, her mother tried to abort her, and it was botched. So she was born, and when she, because of that, she was disabled. She can't use her arms or her legs, can't speak. Well, the grandmother took care of her. And she was basically just kind of treated like an animal, just set outside every day with food and very little of anything covering her. Um, She has calluses in places that indicate that she was probably lived most of her life naked. Four years old now. And the grandmother, through demonic activity, which there's always demonic activity when you're, you know, there's a plot to kill. um, And two of the other sons of that mother planned to kill her because they believe some demonic lie that she was cursed. So they set out to kill her. Well, the father intervened, and we got wind of it and went over and got permission to rescue her and take her from that situation. Her name is Ruth. She is just a delight. Brought her into the campus. She was, it was just deplorable conditions. Literally smelled like urine head to toe. Cleaned her up. Um, She very responsive, very bright-eyed. You could tell she understands a lot, even though she can't speak. She can she can move, even though she doesn't have the function of her arms and legs. And we brought her to the to her. She had had a, an elevated temperature, and so um, Allie had her brought to the hospital and, and found out that again God intervened again because she had a, a, a blood disorder uh, that was very very serious uh, infection, and uh, they were able to get that under control with medicine. And she's gotten out of the hospital. And what a walking, just amazing testimony of defiance against who really holds your life in their hands. This little girl that the enemy tried to kill twice. And um, she doesn't even know how much her existence flies in the face of what Satan has been trying to do. But someone would look at that life. And we showed pictures in a little video clip of her Tuesday. But... Someone might look at that life and say, okay, well, how can, you know, how could God's purpose be great for somebody like that? You know, she, you know, she can't do anything. She can't really speak. It's not like she can become, you know, this great speaker. And, and well, I mean, if you believe in healing, I mean, maybe she could speak and become a speaker. But, you know, she doesn't, she's totally handicapped and, you know, she's limited and she's from a small community and people reject her. And we sum up religiously how we believe that a life is useful or not useful. And yet what we never get through the spirit of religion and in the bride, is that what pleases God is our faith and our trust and our love for him. Without faith, we know it's impossible to please him. Good works and the ministry that God's given you is the, the fruit and the outcome of our relationship. It's supposed to be. And when you get cart before horse, you do a whole lot of nothing before you ever realize that, you know what, none of that really was me. What pleases God, it will all burn up, as Scripture says in the parable, but it will burn up like wood, hay, and stubble. And many people will be devastated at the judgment of how they lived their lives when they realize that 30 years of teaching Sunday school in my flesh didn't amount to anything in the kingdom of God. And they'll be devastated when, if they had just known that believing and trusting and loving the Lord God with every fiber of their being and not having any limitations on what they believe God is in his word is, would make all the difference. And so this little life, Ruth, even now, 
has a testimony. Before she's able to even form words to testify, her very life is a testimony. God's intention for her is already being realized, and yet we don't even know how much more. Of course we believe she's going to be radically healed. That is not, that's a non, no-brainer right there. She will speak. She will, she will be beyond what anybody could even imagine with all the creative miracles that are coming. But even now... When someone would say that, well, I mean, you know, this person's promising. I mean, look at the football career they've had. Look at their ability. Look at their strength. Look at their ability to speak. Oh, they're going to do this for God. They're going to do that for God. That's not how God measures it. Whatever you're doing for God, it better be God in your doing it. Because if it's for God from your flesh to him, it's not amounting to a whole lot. And I have a lot of wasted years to testify to that truth. When I actually thought that any of my good works was actually pleasing him, my obedience to him in his direction pleased him. But not the things that I came up with that would be um, religiously acceptable or make me feel cathartically like I was a better Christian. Because that's just not the pathway. And many of us know have that testimony and we have to go through that transformation. But... Realizing God loves you and then being willing to step, being willing to obey. Don't be like in Acts at chapter 18, the sons of Sceva that came and tried to cast out demons. They were copying what the disciples were doing and all these deliverances they were seeing. That's, we're we're probably going to see that happen where people in the church will try to take on these demonic authorities and man are they rising. I mean, you're seeing everywhere the anarchy rising is the manifestation of the demonic, unable to hide. You are hearing it out of the mouths of educators, teachers, the writings of books. I mean, the infiltration, the rise of the demonic is unlike we've ever seen before. No hiding. We've asked for exposure. It's exposed. It's ugly. And it is even now making some people's hearts faint for what they're seeing. It's like we knew people were after our children, but we had no idea to what degree. No matter how sweet and nice certain people have looked and what we thought, well, so-and-so just seemed like the nicest whatever, you know, administrator, teacher, you know, caregiver. And then we find out that they've been, you know, completely anti-God in everything that they're doing. And God is exposing these things. And when you try to take these authorities on with just your flesh or just your, your own human, well, we've got to fix it. We've got to fix it. I even talked to somebody a couple years ago about, well, we've got to do something. And I, I, my first thought was, get on your face before the Lord and get empowered by him with a laid-down life to find out exactly what your assignment is in the doing something. If you go off rogue in your flesh, you will accomplish nothing, and it will completely crush you. There is something coming, and we've talked about it. It's called the falling of the Holy Spirit. Whatever that is, it is a pouring out of God's Spirit. And the weight of that will have one of two impacts. It will either be a weight that will establish you even more solid, anchored on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ in the fullness of 
that you have allowed because you've emptied out everything that's not of God and you're now a full dwelling place. Last verse of Ephesians 2. You're a dwelling place for him. That's going to be the one impact. It's the establishment, not the kind that we talk about with the globalists, but the establishment of the glory of God in your person. That's the effect on one side. The other effect is that that same weight will come down and because there's stuff, you just, yeah, but that was too hard. And yeah, but yeah, but I don't know. I never really knew quite how to get lay down that desire, that temptation. Or, well, that, that scared me too much. I didn't really want to do that. You know, I, I liked that on the buffet of God's instruction, but I didn't really like that. Yeah, but I, you know, I mean, but, but I've always done this. I've always believed this. I mean, this is what my family believes. I, all this, these issues that you didn't just lay at the feet of Jesus. When the weight of his spirit comes, the other side of that impact will be a crushing, a crushing, because the weight of his glory meeting all the things you're holding on to in willful and unknowing disobedience. And by the way, there won't be an excuse necessarily for any unknowing, because the Lord is already calling his people, come to me, I will show you. If you seek me, you will find me. If you are praying this prayer, search me, try me, guess what? I'll reveal it. And when I reveal it, will you give it up? Will you place it in my hands? Or will you immediately think that's impossible? Nope, that's impossible. Those words ever come out of your mouth, you do not know who God is. Jeremiah says, is anything too hard for me? The Lord says in Jeremiah, and multiple places in Scripture, nothing is impossible for God. Is anything impossible? We can't use that word impossible. Just lay it down. And sometimes we don't even know how to lay it down. But guess what? When we seek him, we'll find him in knowing how to lay it down. But when that glory meets what we're holding on to and the crushing takes place, it will be quite devastating. And (laughs) we've talked about this before, but when the Lord is asking you to release what's in your hand, You can open your hand and say, take it all. Or he can, out of his love, say, that thing in there is going to kill you. For some reason, you're not wanting to open your hand, so I'm going to open it. Have you ever tried to open somebody's hand when they're fighting you? You could break the skin, break the bone, pull a muscle, pull a tendon. By the time that thing is open, the hand isn't working so great. And it didn't have to be that way. It's called prying Don't put God in a position where he has to pry. But I thank God that he's a God that will pry because he loves us just that much. Not overstepping our free will. Don't misunderstand me. But wanting to pursue us so that he can have it all, even if it feels a little bit painful. The only thing that's painful, truly painful, is when we resist when we recoil, when we say, "Uh, uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but uh, I don't. And you know there's actually a bizarre fear that says, Lord, what if when I give you everything, it's not really what I thought it was going to be? Oh, isn't that the ultimate deception where the enemy just says, yeah, sure, give it all to him. It's not what you think. It's not really fulfilling. All you're going to be is just without your stuff. All you're going to be is junkless. You know, as if that's a bad thing. But, but, I mean, we do kind of get these bizarre fears. And that's why we've got to say, Lord, transform my mind. 
I, I just... I just want you and your ways. I get up. I don't know how many times you do it, but I get up every day and I say, Lord, get my head straight. Get my thoughts straight. And the best way to straighten your thoughts out is rise to give him praise. Rise to give him worship. Worship him. Because guess what? When the praises go up, his glory, his presence, his wisdom, his voice comes down. And it's an amazing exchange. It really is the exchange at the end of Matthew 11. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me. And in exchange, I will give you rest. We want to walk in that rest. Well, there's an exchange in order to have that rest. Give it to him, and he'll exchange it with rest. Not a rest like what we often think of rest. It's just, oh, end of a hard day. But a rest. In being so anchored, oh, there's a storm. I see it. I see it. It has no impact. Why? Because Isaiah 54, like Bryn just read, no weapon formed against us will prosper. It won't won't be able to prosper. And every accusation that comes against us will not prevail. It will not. It will actually end up back on their heads. And some of you, as you're taking stands, as you're speaking out, as you're using the power of your voice, the tongue that he knows what's on your tongue, as you're using that, you're, you're getting a responsive accusation. Why wouldn't you? Of course the enemy is going to want to shout back in your face. But when you're undeterred because you're walking by faith, the truth will always prevail. John 8.32 is just true all the time. When you shall know the truth, the truth will make you free. But also in that same chapter in John 8, Jesus makes very clear to those Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil. He is a liar and a liar from the beginning. He is the father of lies. So believing in the truth that God made us, he loves us, his intention is for us, and that if we'll just step in that, the doors that will unlock, the confidence, the rest, the power, the peace, the armor that we will wield when we put it on, unlike anything you've ever seen. We have perilous days ahead, we know, and yet we have the greatest victory of taking ground, glory that will be seen, transfer in that taking a ground of everything from the hands of the wicked and placed into the hands of the righteous. Why? Because God wants to entrust those who are devoted to him with everything that he has created. When he can trust us, he wants it in our hands to do what he desires. And the best way for him to trust us is when it doesn't matter if it's in our hands at all. That's really Whatever your coping mechanism is, we said this in the ladies' class, whatever you think you need to feel good, whatever it is, I I need this, I need this, and I need that. And sometimes it's as simple as, I just need a good night's sleep. You know, people, you know how many people lose their Christian testimony because they did not have a strong enough cup cup of coffee? I mean, they really believe the Holy Spirit must be in that coffee. It's incredible. But when... You need something, whatever it may be. Maybe you just, you need money. You know what? When my bills aren't paid, I'm just not, I'm not good. I I just, I I can't, I I don't do well when this doesn't, when this is in play. I don't do well when I'm in pain. I don't do well when this happens. Whatever you think you need to be well is what you will end up worshiping. It will become that thing you have to have. And when something 
is sought after that you have to have, decisions, compromises, shrinking back, and a divided faith pursuit will happen to receive that because your fundamental core belief is that I have to have it to feel this way. Whereas when you're just in a place of saying, it is well with my soul because I love the Lord, he is my source of all things, you're not going to have, as we talked about in James chapter 1 in the ladies' class, you won't have a divided loyalty. It's just Jesus every time. And, And right now it's kind of, you know, I'm still learning and growing and God is still purging things, little even nuances of things, but I'm sometimes I'll just say to the enemy when he just pummels and pummels and pummels and you know, you know this is gonna end in victory. Mine, by the way. Okay, yeah, I'm feeling that, that hurt. I will be a weeble that will wobble, but I will get back up. Okay? You may knock me down, and if you've ever hit that's an older toy, those of you that don't weren't grown up in the sixties. Um, but, you know, you, I, we used to have a tall one. It was like three feet tall. It was really cool because you could kick it and punch it, and it was just super cool, and it would go back. And sometimes the, the blow would be just hard enough that there would be a delay, and it would kind of be just like sort of bouncing on the ground. And then it would come back up. I sometimes feel like that. Like, okay, yeah, sometimes it takes a little longer. Okay, that was, a, that, was a, oof, that was quite a blow. I'm bouncing around near the ground, but I'm coming back up. Because you can't keep me down. Why? Those toys were built with a certain foundation of weight in the base that causes anything that hits it to always result in the uprightness because of how it was structured. That's where I want my faith. I want my faith structured where he is my foundation. So you may knock me around. You can't knock me out. It's been paid for, and I don't, I don't say this to invite another trial. Believe me, it's tough, and I, I, you know, we cry through it. But the result is the foundation that is Christ alone. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that today? Let's pray. Father God, I love you, God. I praise you. Oh, I lift the name of Jesus. Thank you for the beautiful encounter. I, I can't even imagine what David experienced when you downloaded this beautiful psalm to him as he was a musician, as he creatively, oh, I would love to hear the melody going through his, his mind and heart when you birthed these beautiful words. But thank you, God, that I get to claim them for myself. I get to claim them that you give life, you're the giver of life, that you intended my life to exist before you even created the world. How is that possible? But I praise you. And now that I see that it is possible, how could I not give you everything? How could I not live to worship you? So I do. God, I worship you and I thank you. And I pray, God, today in the name of Jesus that you would give your church, that you would give ignition and your remnant and even the bride as there are moments left before the most intense pieces of the shaking will be seen. God, that you would awaken them to recognize there's so much more than just intellectual principles, these platitudes to tout and live by that deceive us into thinking that that's it. That's the pinnacle of the Christian life. That's the achievement. And it's so far from the mark, even though it looks so close. God, I just pray 
to open the eyes of your people today. And Lord, for those that are the tip of the spear and the leadership of the remnant to move into the ultimate taking of ground, God, I ask for a real deep purging of anything left. Anything left that is maybe even not yet known that needs to just be placed at your feet. Any fear, any hesitation, any flesh reaction that rears its head so often. God, thank you for your mercy, your grace, your forgiveness. But God, when we see these things rearing their head, you let us see them so that they can be removed forever. So God, help us. Help us to just trust you every day. Let that shield of faith just build an imperviousness to the fiery darts of the enemy so that we don't have to just constantly be living a roller coaster or yo-yo type Christian walk with you, but that we can be constant and just walk with you and talk with you every moment, unimpeded with any parts of us that are being held back. God, I pray that with all my heart in the name of Jesus. And I just thank you that, God, that you will do that work in us when we allow it. We love you so much. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. We just bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.